Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 42 our shift from a vegan diet. Uh, For those of you who are loyal listeners, you probably heard in the intro song that I have a new co-host. Let's all welcome Becky Yu. Hi guys. (laughs) So Becky is no newcomer to the Naturally Nourished brand. She's actually been on staff for a little over three years, almost four years now. Sounds about right. Yes. And for those of you that have been active on the blog or purchased the Naturally Nourished Cookbook, Becky has been the photographer and also resident blogger doing recipe development, photos for foods, and also working with clients uh, doing a lot of advanced meal planning and food as medicine interventions. She is in her last month Wow. Weeks? Wow. Weeks. Oh my it's gosh. coming. It's happening. <laughs> Last couple whatevers of her dietetic internship and uh, will be my dietitian on staff in the Houston area. So welcome, Becky. How about you tell listeners a little bit about your background and then we'll get rocking with today's topic. Sure. So like Allie said, I've been with Naturally Nourished, kind of in the background, um, getting to eat a lot of tasty food, photograph a lot of tasty food um, for about three and a half, four years now. Um, prior to that, I had opened a couple of juice bars, and I think we'll get into that when we get into our topic today. Perfect timely with the yes. topic. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of why we chose yeah. it. Uh, but nutrition definitely was a second career for me, um, and it's taken a while to get to the point of actually getting my RD. So I'm so excited um, to be joining you on the podcast as a co-host and also to start seeing patients in office this summer. Awesome. So uh, since it's been a little bit, I think a month and a half or so from our last episode, I want to catch you all up to speed. As you guys know, I'm not one for banter. I like to jam pack all of the minutes that I have with you all with uh, functional medicine and geeky science talk and delicious food recommendations and such. But I want to, you know, uh, dig deeper into any of your curiosity of where I've been and how Becky came about and some of the transitions that I've been going through. Uh, For those of you that know and have listened to episodes, I have now a one-year-old, holy cow, Stella turned one last year, last week, not last year, last week. Um, And so uh, it's been quite the process in postpartum transition, being a business owner, having weekly and then becoming bi-weekly TV segments and media presence, the podcast, uh, addressing all things on Allie Miller RD, product development, and so, so many hats to wear. So um, I think that there was this organic, intense calling um, within me when I had Stella to live with authenticity and integrity and um, we'll go through a little bit today in my transition with the vegan diet and role of autoimmune disease, but there's such a connection, as you may know, of the, the autoimmune conditions and stress. And uh, I was kind of getting to the point of waking up 
each day thinking, what am I going to suck at? <laughs> am I going to suck at being a wife? Am I going to suck at being a mother? Am I going to suck at being a boss? Am I going to suck at being a practitioner? Um, and so I think that that was enough to say, what can I thrive in? What is my passion and my bliss? And what is diverting me from that? So I made quite the transition in April, the end of March, early April, and my husband Brady and Stella and I took 53 days um, on the road. Uh, we traveled from uh, Flagstaff to Sedona, Arizona, and through uh, Austin, Texas, and different areas along the way to Milwaukee, Wisconsin for my grandparents' 65th wedding anniversary, uh, did a big homage to different grandparents um, across the country, and ended up in Austin. Uh, we knew that that was going to be our destination. It wasn't just total rambling and, uh, you know, vagabond-like travel. But um, we bought a house in Austin in February, and now we have relocated there. So I am still retaining my full client load. Um, I am still working full-time as a functional medicine practitioner, and I will still be doing all things Allie Miller RD as far as bringing out content and um, rich information that is hopefully somewhat cutting edge and, and fun for you guys to listen to, to create a lot of those aha connections of dysfunction in your body and how we can treat dysfunction from the root cause using functional medicine and food as medicine interventions. So I look forward to digging deeper into my bliss and alleviating myself of the many hats of the boss lady role of <laughs> dealing with uh, credit card terminal drama and bookkeeping, and I'll still have to do a little bit of that, but I think Brady will help. Um, and uh, you know, HR stuff, paid vacation days and sick days and staff drama. I ended up having some embezzlement drama at my office, and that was kind of also the straw that broke the camel's back. So, Miss Becky Yu is going to be taking over my Houston location as far as being the integrative dietitian on staff seeing clients, and I will be doing a solely virtual practice in Austin. I think that catches people up to speed. I think it does, and I think we could do a whole episode on this living your bliss and de-stressing and recalibration, so maybe yes. we will in the future. Yes, I swear there's there's something, you know, fill in all the blank cliches of the the changes that happen organically as a mother, whether they're hormonally or innate, um, but there is this deep yearning spine-like drive when, you know, your baby's hungry or when you just need to stop and belly laugh or when you need to stare at a flower or when you need to watch the clouds pass. And um, it's been really awesome having Stella pull me back to that level of authenticity and knowing when enough is enough and kind of rerouting. Re so I think we will. We will do an episode. I'm, I'm calling it now. <laughs> uh, something about living your bliss, maybe living your bliss and Allie's recalibration and, and probably also another one on postpartum nutrition and care and so much more fun to come. I love it. <laughs> so let's get started on today's topic, um, which uh, we kind of entitled Becoming a Recovering Vegan. I'm not sure if it'll be published as that because I don't want to get hate mail. <laughs> and I, I think it will. It could happen. It could happen. Um, but so, sometimes doesn't that mean you're doing the right thing? I think it does. And and I definitely have seen, since I progressed from veganism, some unfollows on my Instagram Ooh, and some, some comments on yeah. Facebook when I post those videos of meat <laughs> yeah i know the first time that i posted myself eating heart um i got a little <laughs> bit of hate mail myself um but yes so it may be called shift from vegan but this is a fun topic that actually becky's husband pitched for us as our first topic to do together and uh i tend to kind of keep tallies on my tool belt of 
vegans that I recover or, <laughs> or those that I um, can transfer into eating more of an omnivore-like diet. And again, no hate for those of you that the vegan diet works well. That's fantastic. I do work with vegan clients. However, we will talk today about some of the pitfalls. There's also pitfalls of a paleo diet. So there can be pitfalls in any way, shape, or form. Balance is definitely the key. Absolutely. And I think I'm one of those notches in your belt. I don't know if you can claim me or my husband can, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I'll take, I'll take a little bit. I'll take yep. a little bit. I know yep. Car- Carly, too. Uh, I remember the first time we met when she was a student and we were eating at the downhouse. She was like, wait, you're getting a, a grass-fed burger? And I was like, well, it's grass-fed. And we had this whole thing. <laughs> and she just looked and said, I'll order one of those, too. And I think she was totally vegetarian at the time, so it's pretty crazy. That's awesome. Um, so many, many, many. Um, so let's talk actually first, because I think my story is quite robust. Um, let's talk about your transition, Becky. And um, you kind of briefly mentioned the juice bar thing. So during that time, um, I'm assuming you were a vegan. And, and maybe let's talk about kind of your nutrition history, I suppose, and um, the process. Sure. Um, so yeah, during that time, I definitely was a vegan. Um, and prior to that, had been for most of college. Um, and I transitioned to a vegan lifestyle. I'd always been raised with whole foods and real foods. My dad dabbled in you know, some of the little homeopathic um, naturopathic remedies, but really didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> um, but we always ate real whole foods. Um, and I noticed a shift um, in how my body was feeling in college. I was really fatigued, really run down, um, had mono my senior year of high school, and I just needed some kind of shift. And I remember I read, I don't know what book it was, but some kind of vegan manifesto, and it kind of spurred this um, curiosity in me. Joel Furman, so, Eat to Live. No. It, it might have been that one. I'm, okay. not, I'm not recalling. Um, that now, one's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. yeah. Mm-hmm. I would call it maybe vegan propaganda at this point. Okay. But <laughs> again, no hate. Um, we all been there. But um, so I read this book and, and decided to try the vegan diet um, for what I would consider first and foremost health reasons. Um, also, definitely there was a sustainability aspect in there. Um, and um, you know, I really thought I was doing the right thing for my body. And the first couple of years, I was doing really, really well. I felt amazing, um, and I probably now would attribute that to just adding more, you know, vegetables and phytonutrients and yeah. antioxidants and kind of that detox and cleanse from a more processed lifestyle. Um, so through college, I did the vegan thing. I was running twenty plus mile long runs um, and doing great. And then things started to shift um, as I moved to Houston with Teach for America. I was a preschool teacher, and I just found my energy totally zapped. My adrenals were just crying out for help. Um, <laughs> and protein. Yeah, and protein. <laughs> and fat. Yep, yep. Um, so after that, I, um, I helped to manage some of the local farmer's markets through Urban Harvest. Still vegan at the time, but I was starting to meet these local farmers and, like, you know, wouldn't go to the pasture-raised pork booth and because I felt a little guilty that I didn't eat his products. Um, but I remember at Bastyr, there was a, and I still regret this every day, not every day, that's a little dramatic. <laughs> I still regret this a couple times a year, um, <laughs> much more accurate. Um, there was a raw dairy farmer that did a lecture for us and I opted out of the tasting. Oh. And she used like calendula um, on when, when the, it was goats, I, I believe it was goat mm-hmm. dairy farmer and it was raw goat milk. And she did like a raw goat kefir, a raw goat milk. And I, I do consume raw milk now. Um, but anyway, 
she used calendula and herbs to treat mastitis and and was so holistic and fabulous and i opted out of the tasting and i always like now uh, we'll, we'll talk so about what sad. my first bite was but yeah yeah, yeah. That's sad yeah so <laughs> i was going through this this whole shift in in terms of you know sustainability and learning more about um raising animals well um but i was still vegan for quite a long time after actually um through some connections I made with the farmer's market, I ended up opening one juice bar and then another. And then this vegan thing became part of my identity. And I was teaching workshops and I was, you know, really on this vegan soapbox for better or for worse. I was going to say, with the whole yoga community, mm -hmm. is it the Baptista thing where they do the fat? What's the fat thing called? Yoga. Mm -hmm. or? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in Baptiste yoga, I'm a uh, Baptiste teacher. Um, and uh, they do a 40 days of yoga and there's a three-day fruit fast it's supposed to be a fruit fast only fruit for three days um, and i started to push them at least toward doing more vegetables and some of the cruciferous vegetables and using a little bit of fat in there but i was still completely lacking in you know adding protein to most people's diet and um I started to see this not working so well for me in terms of, you know, I would drink three juices and smoothies a day and <laughs> my blood sugar is probably through the roof and I was having these spikes and crashes. So, um, kind of the balloon head yeah, deal. Yeah. Extreme brain fog. And I was so spacey. <laughs> it was <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> and I think we met cause we met about five years ago and it was about that time. Cause I remember talking to you, we did some workshops mm -hmm. together and, and this is probably even pre-workshop. And I remember being like, oh, no, um, being a certified diabetes educator and a total kind of omnivore driven, locavore, paleo person at that time, I was like, oh, three day fruit. Uh, that's like hyper hypoglycemia disaster. Um, and I remember talking to you about that. Like, what about nut? I think that nut butters should be in the protocol yeah. or I yeah. think that full fat coconut milk at least or avocado. Yeah. yeah. And then we did a detox workshop that was probably a little bit against the Baptiste principles, but definitely um, much more sustainable and actually nutritionally supported detox versus for sure the three-day fruit fast. Yeah, yeah. So Becky and I did a couple workshops, I think, on um, optimizing digestion where I, well, I would write the nutrition curriculum and lecture and then Becky, it would be hosted at the juice bar and Becky would do a food demo and um, sometimes we'd feature different products mm -hmm. that were kind of comparable with the topic. Yep. And we um, did a yoga class to go along with with it. Yeah. So like for detox, we do a lot of wringing out of, you know, the vital organs with twists and things like that. Lymphatic yes. flow drivers <laughs> um, and uh, improving digestion and I think beauty foods. And then also I know that uh, prior to coming on board with Naturally Nourished, you within the juice bar participated in my pharmacy events, which was another yes. big omnivore yep. thing yep. because I think we had uh, cattle rangers talk at them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we had uh, beekeepers, yep. and uh, the second pharmacy we did, we had uh, talk. We talked about urban chicken keeping and homesteading in general. Um, yep. So and I think, but at that time, I think you had converted. I think I was doing. I was definitely doing honey. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I was definitely doing eggs, um, and I remember like the first time I had two eggs, it was like, what just happened to my body? I'm full for like three or four hours and grounded, and grounded. Gro yeah yeah for sure so um let's go into as far as juicing um because that's a big topic and you know one of my mantras that i use is 
a juice cleanse is not a detox. Um, I, when I lectured at Prevention Magazine's Big Summit, I had the whole room yelling that. Um, and so, you know, that's something I'm really impassioned about. Tell me about your perspective on juicing, Becky, and then um, we'll go into a little bit of my story, I suppose. I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> um, so I just had dinner the other night, actually, with one of my former employees from the juice bar, and we were both saying we literally haven't taken out our personal juicers for, like, a couple of years. Um, and I do think that, you know, a green juice that's made with all organic veggies, maybe a little bit of lemon or lime in there um, to give you that acid, um, it has its place. But I'm definitely not on the juicing bandwagon in terms of um, consuming a lot of the high fruit and um, high carbohydrate juices anymore, um, especially you know because they're lacking in that fiber, uh, lacking in protein or fat to slow down that absorption of the carbohydrates. So we're getting this lighter fluid for the blood sugar, essentially. Um, even if we're doing really healthy, great root vegetables like beets and carrots, when you concentrate those, you're getting a really high carbohydrate for beverage. For sure, for sure, and glycemic spiking, absolutely. With, with nothing to slow it down. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the other aspect of it. Um, you know, if you're drinking one or two of these juices a day and you're juicing cruciferous vegetables like kale and broccoli or collard greens, um, there's a potential to even drive dysfunction in the body in terms of the thyroid. Um, so all of that combined, um, I really don't drink much juice anymore. I'm much more on the smoothie train For these sure. days, uh, getting the whole foods, um, maybe less of the anti-nutrients and more of the protein and fat. For sure. For sure. That's what we do. And, and that's why you will not see juice recipes in the Naturally Nourished Cookbook and probably not in, in recipes to come because it's one of those kitchen tools that I don't really recommend as essential. Mm -hmm. I, I think that a juice can be a complement to a balanced diet. And yes, the, the pro is that rapid absorption of antioxidants, but they should be about 70% of green and vegetables by makeup. And um, you know, pairing based on your glycemic response, you may want to have that within a mealtime stamp or with nuts or something like that. And even smoothies too, you want to watch out for getting really high carbohydrate smoothies. Yeah. Um, like I was at a juice bar the other day and I asked exactly what was in the smoothie and they told me it was, I think, one and a half bananas <laughs> and four dates and blueberries and I'm just counting the carbs I was going to say, dietitian quiz. <laughs> uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, we're at 75 grams of carbs. Can right. you take out that banana? Can you replace the dates with XYZ? And they're like, that's not going to taste very good. Right, right. Yeah, like, we're at 12 slices of bread now uh -huh. in this tiny cup. Oh my goodness. So yeah, if you look at the Naturally Nourished Cookbook, you're going to see all of our smoothie recipes I think are coming in, you know, at or below 30 grams right. of carbs. Right, for sure. At least that, that half ratio of protein mm -hmm. to carb, if not more of a one-to-one -one ratio. So um, let's talk a little bit about my transition into the vegan diet, and um, then we'll talk about pros and cons and how it influences you. Yeah. So um, let's see. I uh, started as a sad diet, really. Um, and, and so you guys have heard my background if you listen to episode one or two, I think. Um, but um, I really grew up in a standard American diet household. My mother was a nurse. Uh, she was retired, though, by the time that I believe, you know, I was one or something like that. Uh, we were the cool house that always had the updated snacks. 
like the Cheeto paws. And um, I remember uh, leaving ballet class and getting like the all, calling my mom about what was for dinner and being like, no, I'll just get the all American meal at McDonald's instead. Um, and then I would add on the McFlurry with mini M&Ms and it was like perfect. See, I um, come over to your house when I was a kid because we had like the whole wheat bread and granola. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we were not that house. Um, and so when I went vegetarian, I was 18 and it was totally initially the PETA thing, the animal rights um, and animal welfare, which I'm still very passionate about animal welfare, of course, and sustainability and um, fair treatment and um, ensuring uh, quality of care um, leading up to slaughter. Uh, But um, I was vegetarian, got really involved, actually. I was in an organization called, um, I believe it was FARFA, which was Farm Animal... Mm something. I don't remember. I'm sorry, guys. But it was a farm animal welfare organization. I tabled for PETA at my anti-war rallies um, and was really involved politically. Um, I, of course, had to go vegan. And um, no, that's not Farfa. Farfa is an organization. That's um, Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance, which I I do align with now. They're like pro raw milk. This was like anti-eating animals. But um, uh, so... I, um, let's see, went vegan because of course that was the next step. And when I first went vegetarian, I ate a lot of cheese pizza, a lot of mac and cheese. Um, Cheese became a huge staple. And even coming from Wisconsin, I ate more cheese than I did prior um, because it was like the only option as a vegetarian. And a lot of gluten um, because you would get like the cheese pizza instead of the chicken, whatever. Um, and then when I transitioned into vegan, I was forced to eat more vegetables. So that was a pro. Um, but I also ate a lot more soy and a lot more gluten. And so I was increasing intake of tofu. I was eating a lot of the analogs. I remember for two years, I brought a tofurkey roast to different aunts' houses for Thanksgiving when I'd come home from college. And I remember my sweet grandpa being one time like, oh, well, Allie, that's pretty tasty. <laughs> I did a, like rubber. a raw Thanksgiving one year. Oh. Um, my mom still cooked the turkey, but my aunt still reminds me to this day about how I made a cold carrot soup, and it was the most disgusting thing she had ever seen in her life. Oh, sad. <laughs> sad. So soy and gluten was out of control, and I was not afraid of eating food-like substances to the level of earth earth spread or what's that stuff earth called? Balance. Earth balance. Yeah, buttery yeah, yeah. like yep. spread, um, which is still in the grocery store shelves. Um, a, a lot of those, you know, sausage-like things and such. Um, and then I took it even up a notch, speaking of raw, to a raw vegan diet for three months. Um, so this was in 2007, I believe, or 2008. And um, I was reading also probably some serious propaganda, doing a lot of things with like reading David Wolf and and different pro-juice, pro, they're actually people called breathitarians that promote (laughs) surviving on oxygen. Um, Yeah. And um, a lot of dogma fad like stuff. Um, And so I was like, oh my gosh, well, the raw diet cures cancer because it shifts your alkalinity and cancer cells can't survive in an alkaline environment. And so I went down the rabbit hole and I uh, was in my 
second year at Bastyr. Um, so meanwhile, I'm in Washington, and uh, Bastyr, it was interesting, had a vegetarian cafeteria. So that was actually one of the big drivers for me going to that school. I literally went to get my degree in nutrition at the Naturopathic School of Medicine to make everyone vegan and save the world. That was my like goal <laughs> leading up into going to college there. And um, so I became a raw vegan for about three months. And leading up to that transition, I was becoming a certified raw vegan chef. So I did, I had my whole, I still have an Excalibur dehydrator and I still make beet chips and flax crackers and some of those little tools that I did learn that can be nourishing options. Um, and I was making my own kombucha. I was doing green smoothies with like a gajillion bananas and dates like Becky mentioned and juicing. And um, I felt really, really shitty. Um, I felt the most imbalanced that I've ever felt in my entire life. Um, I was living in Washington. I do have Raynaud's disease or syndrome, and I have autoimmune disease, endometriosis, and an elevated ANA of some unknown vasculitis stuff. Um, and I was flaring like crazy, mad neuropathy, losing sensation in my hands and feet, um, unable to open jars. Uh, my rheumatoid factor was normal, but my ANA was, was, was positive, and um, I was severely anemic. Um, my ferritin was run and my ferritin was at a two. Um, yeah, which is super, super, super low. low. <laughs> it can go upwards into the hundreds plus. Um, and I was at a two. Um, and so I was actually, that, that level was run at the Bastyr Naturopathic Clinic. So I was going, I was going to school. I was working as a practitioner in the clinic and, or no, I think when I was a practitioner, I had converted, but I was going to the clinic for acupuncture for all of my um, Raynaud's and such and trying to work with Chinese herbs and um, lymphatic flow. And when they did all the blood work, they kind of sat me in a room with naturopathic doctors and they said, okay, so we need to put you on, you know, this heme form of uh, chelated iron and it's going to come with methylated B12 and this and that. Um, and these are nutrients that you're not getting from your diet be that your background is in nutrition, you know, we want to have the conversation with you of, of whether you're open to using food to also support your nutritional deficiencies. So let's talk a little bit more about the autoimmune connection there. Yeah. And, um, you know, you were seeking health, you were seeking this optimal diet, but you were actually driving your body into further imbalance. Let's talk a little bit more about Totally. The connection there, maybe the soy and the gluten. Yeah, I, I think so many things. Mm -hmm. um, my mom has Hashimoto's, and I have an elevated TPO, so I, I haven't fully broken into Hashis, but um, soy has a huge connection of um, being a negative influence on the thyroid gland. Um, it definitely interferes with thyroid hormone production and thyroid hormone binding and the utilization and conversion. Um, and so the high soy leading up to this. Now, the good thing of the raw diet was the raw diet was pretty low in soy. I think the only food that was allowed was like the Bragg's liquid aminos, yep, yep. which is soy-based. It's fermented soybean. Um, and I may have eaten soaked edamame raw and done like edamame hummuses and such. So maybe I was still eating some, but not to the level of leading up to sure. raw. 
But yes, I mean, for three plus years, I was eating high soy. And I think that that had a huge role in my thyroid. I was actually the heaviest weight of my life when I was a raw vegan, which is wild. Um, so interesting. Yeah. And I see that a lot over yeah. time with raw vegans. They start to kind of look a little puffy. Yep, yep. And, um, you know, I was over, over, again, overfed, malnourished type thing. And um, the gluten, I mean, also contributing heavily to leaky gut and also uh, bumping up that thyroid peroxidase. So um, I... And then had the trifecta of stress. Um, you know, I was in my last year of being at a naturopathic college of medicine, trying to change the world, <laughs> digging, 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 and study. I mean, I was probably sleeping less than five hours a day. Mm-hmm. I was working at an organic farm on my free time, trying to network. And um, that whole autoimmune HPA axis was haywire. Um, so I was undernourished. I was overinflamed and I was overstressed. And um, I think that that's the perfect trifecta for autoimmune combustion. Yep. That, that <laughs> sounds a lot like my story and the story of a lot of our clients that, yeah. um, that have converted, um, yes. if you will. Yes, for sure. And, you know, I mean, I think beyond, um, although I was learning and doing some things with probiotics at that time, there is such a huge connection of stress on the microbiome as far as stress being very sterilizing. We've seen in clinical re- clinical research it influencing secretory IgA and other biomarkers that drive leaky gut. And so having the food irritant and the stress and bacteria drivers, I think that that, that was, like I said, a, a big driver. So talking about the microbiome, did you notice, Allie, um, any digestive changes or what were your other primary symptoms? I know we talked about the neuropathy and the fatigue, and actually I dealt with those as well, uh, kind of in my transition out of veganism and um, my driver for that. But what were your symptoms um, other than the neuropathy? So I had mad bloating, um, (laughs) which I think bloating was definitely, I do have gluten intolerance. Go figure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I do not... (laughs) eat gluten to this day um, in any way, shape, or form. And I was doing like vital wheat gluten, like seitan, because that was like the sexy new meat-like analog. Um, Do you remember Quoron, by the way? I think I do. Or are you younger? No, I think I do. Was that the <laughs> it was frozen like corn patties? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was they like Q U O R N, yeah, and they were like they had chicken patties. Yes, yes. Yeah. So Quoron was like so there was the tofurkey and all that soy stuff, and then Quoron was like the new meat, and that's just delightful thinking of all the genetically modified corn that was probably <laughs> in that, and the high amounts of glycophosphate and Roundup like residue and chemical compounds. So I ate Quoron for a while, and then seitan and gluten, um, literally like concentrated gluten. I was making like stroganoffs and stuff, I remember, with like the um, vegan cream cheese spread. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but all, it's vegan, right? All so of it's those, gotta be healthy. <laughs> all of those things, yes. In fact, I also ate... I forget because candy, you know, I was like one of those vegans where it was like no leather belt, you know, mm-hmm. um, only uh, uh, no beeswax candles. Like you mentioned, like eating honey was kind mm-hmm. of a revelation. Um, but yeah, I remember certain candies like, oh, well, this doesn't have gelatin, so I can eat Sour Patch Kids. It was like, wow. But that was before the best year days. When I went to best year, I was more single ingredient whole foods um, and uh, beyond the bloating as far as symptoms go. Um, I had, uh, like I said, the neuropathy. Shortness of breath was huge. And I thought at first, oh, I'm in Seattle, Washington. It's super hilly. I'm just out of shape. 
And then when I got the diagnosis of severe anemia and understand the connection (laughs) (laughs) of iron and oxygenation and blood flow, uh, it made a lot of sense. I was super lightheaded, brain fog as well, Um, but the shortness of breath was really dynamic. I also had hair loss. Um, and really severe flares with the endometriosis. I described it as like barbed wire around my legs and I was pretty, pretty debilitated. So. Got it. So. (laughs) No bueno. No, not at all. Um, So you mentioned Bastyr kind of being a, the vegetarian cafe kind of being a driver for you to go there um, and going in thinking you were going to change the world by being a vegan. Um, what happened when you were there and you were kind of starting to question when you got that um, diagnosis in the clinic and then yeah. um, what kind of happened while Well, this you were was there? even before the clinic stuff. Actually, my first year there, it was funny. There was like a vegan group because, you know, we, they like alliances. Yep. And so, you know, with the first day of um, school when we had our like, um, I don't know what that's called, mind blinking, introduction. Orientation. Thank you. Yep. Orientation. Yep. Yes. In the orientation, um, you know, we I literally think I stood up and I described, like, a vegan was, like, one word in a, a five-word description. Like, my name is Allie. <laughs> I had a different name, at, last name at the time, Sadowski, and I am a vegan, and I'm really into using nutrition to promote whatever. So we all kind of, like, identified each other and, and congregated, and... Um, Yet in classes, a lot of professors would question me, like especially about things like that um, earth balance margarine-like spread. They would say, you know, let's look at the ingredients in here and let's count how many ingredients there are. And do you know that in Redmond, Washington, you can get butter churned up the road by grass-fed cows? And do you know that you can get eggs and that eggs, I I for some reason didn't understand that eggs were non-fertilized if we were consuming them. So there was literally no harm done, that it was just the passing of the hen, an unfertilized egg. And they used to do candling and now they keep the rooster away and Mm -hmm. we know there's no chickens in them. Um, So all these little things where they would kind of just question me and it all came down to what is a whole food. That was a huge element of my education at Bastyr and um, continues to be in my clinical practice. You know, can you identify all of its edible parts? Um, or what if, it, what if its edible parts have been removed since harvest? Um, and yeah, can you identify or imagine it growing? Um, and some of those things you could not identify growing. Um, and a lot of processing had occurred to make those analog-like products. And so I started to really think about it. And I started to think about even sustainability. At that time, coconut oil they were talking about even you know how far does coconut oil have to travel so maybe that's a single ingredient but let's talk about the sustainability let's talk about fair trade let's talk about how the workers and the harvesters are being treated and the contamination factors and irradiation processing when it's being flown over here so it really made me question and be mindful of if I'm into organics. My husband, Brady, was an organic farmer at the time. And so, like you mentioned, Becky, with the farmer's market connection, there's that, that ingrained connection to eating locally grown vegetables and the role that compost and animal manure plays and chickens and the whole life cycle in a sustainability food model. And there's really no such thing without animals. Um, it's a part of the food chain. And so I started to kind of bring that into my ethos and and question that. And my husband started eating um, animal proteins. And then when I got the diagnosis, I was was pretty um, mindful of, I I can do this with food. So 
So what other labs, Allie, you mentioned the ferritin, but what other labs um, should a vegan or vegetarian be mindful of getting run either with their practitioner or... Um... Yeah, yeah. So labs to look at. So ferritin is going to be a sensitive marker of your iron. Um, you can also look at transferrin, which is the carrier protein for iron storage. Ferritin is your, your iron storage in your body. And then that looks a little deeper than your hemoglobin and hematocrit, which would be in a, a CBC or a complete blood count. Um, also running your MMA, which is a marker of your B12. Uh, looking at homocysteine, which will play a role as um, homocysteine tends to build up in the body when we don't have ample function of methylfolate and methyl B12, those bioavailable forms of those B vitamins, which are really only in the biological form or animal-based forms. Uh, vitamin D is a really good one that we don't get a lot of sources of in the vegan or vegetarian diet. Um, I like to now run a micronutrient test at my practice, um, which uses white blood cell proliferation. Um, fancy talk for basically looking at more of a three-month storage capacity of nutrients versus what's just floating through the serum. So it's so interesting when clients say, oh, my doctor ran all these labs, and it's like just a comp and a CBC. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sure you see that all the time. Um, so an actual micronutrient test, um, and we'll put a link on this episode's show notes about um, how you can do that if you're interested. Um, but it'll look at 35 different vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants, and it speaks to more of the storage capacity and the functionality of them in your body versus, again, what's just kind of a snapshot. Um, so we actually ran this right when I was transitioning. Um, okay. I don't know if you remember reviewing this lab with me, but it was right when I was transitioning. Um, I had just started eating eggs and we were like, oh, I wish I had gotten this a little bit sooner actually to see the true, um, true markers of deficiency. But my B12 was functionally deficient and all of my B vitamins I think were borderline as well. Um, and especially that B12 one, that's one that our body, we have um, a pretty good storage capacity for a couple of years, correct, on B12? Yes, um, yes. So I, I kind of would almost correlate that with when I started to feel really, really crappy and I was getting neuropathy or tingling in my hands and feet mm -hmm. um, and the coldness and cold sensitivity, I, start, I started to think about that. It kind of correlated with the downshift probably of my you know B12 stores and I wasn't supplementing and I wasn't getting any more in the diet. Um, so I've run that panel since and am no longer functionally deficient in anything, which is a gold star. Yeah. Omnivoric diet. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's, it's so cool to see those metrics. I recommend running it annually as just kind of like a health check-in. And then other labs you may want to look at is like a, a thyroid comprehensive, um, which would be different than just your TSH, your T3, and your T4. This would also include, as I referenced, that TPO or looking at inflammation in the gland or autoimmune activity. Um, you can learn more about that in our specific, uh, we have an actual episode on thyroid health, so definitely check that out if you're interested. C-reactive protein and SED rate to check on inflammation is always important. And then maybe that hemoglobin A1C to look at a three-month average of your blood sugar levels if you're doing all those crazy juices and smoothies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, my A1C was definitely high at that point in time as well. Um, so do you think the vegan diet, though, works well for some people or for some um, point in time? Absolutely. And I think that we need to be mindful of transitioning our diet by season, by age, by stress, right? And so, you know, in the summer, it's intuitive that we want to eat more light. We want to eat colder, things like ceviche and salads. I just did a raw salad for Stella's birthday. We had 
grass-fed steaks with it, but you know, on the grill. But we had a raw kale salad, um, and we had uh, shishito peppers, so a little kind of lighter, hotter, um, thinking of the foods that are in season. Um, and with that being said, some individuals, especially I think you referenced this, Becky, you did feel better in the beginning of the diet, probably because you were getting more antioxidants, more phytocompounds, maybe more superfoods, <laughs> you know, things like Camus and things like cacao powder in the raw form and turmeric and some of these buzzworthy foods that we still incorporate in our daily practice. Um, but I think that the vegan diet can help you to focus on that when you remove a lot of gunk. And so as a transitional diet, I think it can be helpful. And um, especially if you're getting higher fiber and higher healthy fats. But, you know, as we mentioned, there's definitely some, some elements of distress and pitfalls too. Yep. So what are the pitfalls? What are the things to watch out for um, if we are doing a vegan or even vegetarian diet? Well, the biggest one that's hard for people to understand is low bioavailable nutrients. So, and I think we talked about this too in kind of your transitional state. You know, a lot of people will talk about the omega-3s in flaxseed or um, the omega-3s in other nuts and seeds like walnuts or algae and things like that. Um, well, the liver and kidneys have to do this process. It's a 16 and 18 step process to make activated EPA and DHA. And they use elongase and desaturase from that ALA omega-3 all the way down to convert it into EPA and DHA. Uh, whereas when you consume it from fish oil, you're actually getting the active EPA DHA because the fish is doing that work in their organelle for you. Um, and I always joke that living in a dirty world, which is just inevitable with 6 billion plus pounds of toxins released per year, um, you know, our liver and kidneys have a lot of other things to do. Uh, so they don't need to be focusing on that elongase and desaturase of our omega chain. Um, you know, they need to be upregulating detoxification processes. So you get things more bioavailable so that there's more bioavailable omega-3s. There's actually nutrients that you can't get, like some of the limiting amino acids in the vegan diet. And um, also things like conjugated linoleic acids, which are types of fats that have been shown to inhibit tumor activity in the body. Body. That was a big fight I had when I was doing research for MD Anderson and promoting grass-fed beef mm -hmm. because, you know, the American Cancer um, Society or, or one of the CAM type guidelines is low red meat. And I remember saying, well, there's been no evidence of research from grass-fed meats to be pro-inflammatory. And I had all these studies on omega-3 levels that shift once the cows go from pasture to corn-fed and how if it's 100% grass-fed, it's a beneficial fuel source. So things like that, that the animals make. And then even one more nutrient that's more bioavailable is iron, of course. So there's the ferric and ferrous forms. And um, you know we really want to have the activated heme versus non-heme. And you get your non-heme form in your vegetables. And you can use things like vitamin C to convert that ferric to ferrous. So like when you're cooking spinach, which we think of from Popeye with iron, adding lemon to that helps to activate and increase the absorption of iron. But you're still getting, I think it's more than 30 times bioavailability of iron in salmon, in heme-based iron or animal-based iron from blood, honestly, so steak and things like that. So there's that bioavailability. We also are missing therapeutic compounds. So although we do get some probiotics in things like kombucha and miso in the vegan diet, we're missing out on other particular strains that are grown off of um, dairy and grown off of animal proteins. And then uh, bone broth, collagen, and gelatin. So when we're speaking to leaky gut, those therapeutic foods need to come from 
animal bone and they have to be rendered out. And those are things that really help to support that gut sealant, if you will. So I think that you know there's pitfalls and um, some of those nutrients are higher needed in different individuals. And if you identify with those deficiencies, you may wanna consider what elements of the omnivore diet you're comfortable with. Got it. So that's a lot to keep in mind. And we're thinking about, you know, comparing even like gram, you know, cup for cup or whatever of broccoli. Oh my gosh. Um, yes. I hear that argument still. And I used to make that argument, but, Have but you... thinking about the conversion in yes. the body is, is what we need to think about, not the amount of grams or, you know, percentage of these nutrients. It's oh my actually goodness. the conversion factor in the body. Right. So are you actually able to absorb, as Becky mentioned, because a lot of plants, the other thing that you'll hear is um, anti-nutrients. And so, for instance, these the whole argument, or a big argument, I guess, of the paleo diet of the legumes and grains having these lectins or these anti-nutrients that block the absorption, and that's why we need to soak our nuts and seeds before consumption, um, breaking down these natural plant defenders from not allowing us to gain nourishment from them is a huge piece. And um, when we're going to plant-based proteins, often, well, 100% actually of them, are not pure protein like you'd get from an animal source. So that's a common thing I'm working with clients on that are looking to balance their macros. It's like, well, yes, you can use black beans, and a cup of black beans does have 12 to 16 grams of protein, um, but to get minimum 60 to 80 grams of protein, your carbs are gonna be off the chain, um, you know, because you're getting 36 grams of carbs for that 12 grams of protein in that cup of beans. And so when you're eating 12 grams of protein in chicken breast, that's less than two ounces with zero grams of carbs. And carbs find us, and y'all know that because you've heard me lecture. Um, so <laughs> carbs find us, we don't need to look for them. Um, so definitely that's another pitfall I'd say is higher carbohydrate intake in the vegan diet or vegetarian even diet, um, and typically coming from pro-inflammatory sources of soy or gluten. Right, and I've seen vegans or vegetarians try to do something like a candida cleanse or even try you know, hearing all about ketosis and the benefits and asking if they could possibly do that. And it's like, not really. Right, if you're using a supplemental yep. protein powder, yes, yes, but then are you eating whole foods? Right. So it comes back to that whole argument, right. absolutely. Um, so let's talk about other things to consider when transitioning from a vegan diet. So things you want to consider, and I, I guess I'll go back to my transition. Mm -hmm. So you know, I determined that um, I was gonna, I was bound to determine if I'm gonna use food as medicine as my practice and my mantra, I need to do it myself, and I need to really understand what it feels like. And so I literally remember like feeling uh, a really heavy weight on my drive home of this decision of, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump off the diving board. Um, and so I started with adding actually raw egg yolks to my smoothies, big step. Um, and so I went up the road literally in Redmond, Washington to a local cider place that had chickens and talked to them. I, I, I talked to their chickens, <laughs> probably too long, probably looked like a crazy chicken lady. And I, I was going through like, I think it was 24 egg yolks a week that I was cracking raw because I didn't want to denature anything um, into my smoothies. And then I started actually eating the eggs. So then I was doing like frittatas and scrambles. I started, um, I was doing a 
seaweed vegetable foraging trip in Vashaw Islands um, of the San Juan Islands. Um, yeah, pretty hippie awesome. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we were like distilling our own sea salt. And oh my gosh, yeah, we like I, really in deep. <laughs> uh huh, uh huh, hardcore. Um, and uh, I was foraging for sea vegetables and kelp and things like that. And um, out there, we uh, caught oysters, like raw oysters in the sand beds. They actually like shoot out water from the sand and you can just dig them up. Um, you probably know that from the East Coast, but yep. but yeah, I thought that was really phenomenal, and, and I had I had opened an eggs at that point, so I'm at this camp trip, and everyone's literally shucking them and eating them on the beach, and I'm like, whoa, like I could try that. So I tried oysters, and then um, I was I was bringing in wild salmon, and I thought, okay, I'm comfortable here. I'm gonna do salmon and fish, and then the eggs, and then maybe some raw dairy. Um, but it was funny, one night I was cramming for an exam, I don't know what topic, and uh, Brady, my husband, had the cast iron out and some ghee, and um, I was like that cat in the cartoons where like literally like the smell like slowly traveled. He was cooking steak, I don't know if I mentioned that, but he's searing steak, and like of course you hear that like tsh of like the steak hitting the pan, and like all the nostalgia started just flowing through me, and I feel like the fumes like traveled into the room that I was studying, and like pulled me I like levitated out and literally before he could even take a bite I was halfway done with the steak <laughs> like I like <laughs> took a knife and a fork too and was just ah um pretty pretty animalistic and, and ravenous and from there I just never looked back yep. Yep. <laughs> um I know that I had talked to before that though because I was considering eating um cow um and grass-fed beef I had talked to a rancher about slaughter and we actually had a rancher talk to us at Bastyr as well again they were really into the kind of pushing your envelope and um, I didn't know that they used these air pressure guns um, to stun the cows before slaughter and there was actually a rancher that did acupressure on their cows um, because it helps with the glutamine and that. yeah isn't that amazing like super zend out cows they would only slaughter one at a time so they didn't hear each other making any noise and they would actually look at glutamine levels in the blood post slaughter of cows that were uh, killed maybe slaughter is a little harsh word I'm sorry for you vegans um, but you know post I guess that's the only word I can think of whatever um, and they saw glutamine go down in the distressed cows and that actually led to more um, taut or tense meat so it's been a big driver actually of like de-stressing your cows mm -hmm. um, so kind of tender meat. kind of a cool thing <laughs> yeah so I went right for it I think it was like a three-month process but for those of you that are considering it um, things to consider are um, enzymes. So there's this whole enzyme idea of if you don't use it, you lose it. And yes, there are raw enzymes in things like um, papayan in um, different tropical fruits and bromelain. And those are proteolytic enzymes. They're great. And they can also help with digestion. Um, but the enzymes in the body and hydrochloric acid specifically, which is more of a pH thing, they work in a use it or lose it fashion. And so protrypsin, the um, pre-enzyme to break down and um, pepsinogen um, to break down pepsin um, for breaking down protein requires hydrochloric acid and so your hydrochloric acid tends to reduce with stress it also tends to reduce if you don't need activation of it 
So um, really ramping up using a good enzyme. I, I like our product, of course, because I private labeled it and developed it, and it's called Digest Aid. It has hydrochloric acid. It has DPP-4 for gluten. It has bile to help with um, stimulating the emulsification of fats and lipase for that reason as well. But it has all of these proteolytic and um, protein-based enzymes too, um, and it helps uh, your body to kind of rev up your digestive juices. So if you're transitioning, I would definitely recommend for a couple months taking digestive enzymes prior to food so you don't feel that heaviness. A lot of people talk about meat just sitting heavy for a while. And I've heard that as an argument too. Oh, my body just doesn't do well with it. I don't digest it well. And that being an argument to stay in that vegan or vegetarian space or um, at least not delve into the, you know, more dense meats like the beef and the pork, yeah. but actually it might just be a lack of enzymes. It's yeah. why your body doesn't. And if you don't use like it, it, you lose it. Yeah. That's like saying I can't lift thirty pounds because I don't have biceps. Yeah. It's like, well, you got to start with ten, yeah. <laughs> and you lift it, and you lift it, and you lift it, and then look, you're lifting thirty. Um, so same thing. Yeah, I'll encourage people to start with ground meats because they're kind of pre-broken mm-hmm. down or pre-digested, and then using digestive enzymes until their system really starts to surge and recognize the need. Um, and then other things to consider when transitioning: constipation that can definitely be seen with increase of protein in the diet across the board. So be mindful of keeping up your roughage in the diet. You can still keep your chia pudding or you can keep your um, leafy greens or high fiber diet, um, but be mindful of that. And then um, bloating as well. And I think that goes back to the enzyme thing. So let's talk a little bit about kind of in summarizing where we are at as far as pros and cons and who this fits for. So I think we hit for y'all that, you know, the vegan diet can be very phytonutrient dense. It can be rich in antioxidants. It can be good in fiber. And um, this can be a great diet approach for some of you that are looking to clean up your diet, be ingredient aware, but I definitely discourage across the board analog products. And I think Becky agrees with that for sure. (laughs) So don't eat food like substances, period, regardless of your dogma of your diet. Um, Always eat real food. Um, And then, you know, over time, you want to probably encourage some of those biological sources to your comfort level to get those nutrients that are not possible to get from an all plant-based diet. Yeah. And let's talk um, a little bit about what some of the pitfalls of an omnivore or paleo diet can be and what to kind of watch out for in your transition. Yes. So I think that's a good, you know, the, the yin and the yang, right, baby? So you know, there's, there's pros and cons. And I think um, we see this a lot with definitely like the keto diet. Um, I'm a huge proponent of ketosis as well. Um, the keto diet is actually higher fat than it is protein. That's a little bit of a misconception for some. It's not like Atkins where it's unlimited protein, but it's a higher protein diet. And we tend to think of a lot of saturated fats and things like bacon. Um, and I think that with anything, paleo or keto or a more primal or protein-rich diet, sourcing is really important. So the quality um, is really important. So ensuring we're not getting toxicity because there is this concept of biological magnification. So on one end, the animals activate the nutrients to give us more nutritional density, but also animals store toxins. So if your cow is eating that Roundup-ready glycophosphate toxic corn, it's a a conventional corn cow, and it's being given growth hormone, 
all of that toxicity is sequestered in their fat and then the meat is rated higher level prime being the higher fat marbleization so you're actually getting more toxicity um, and so definitely being mindful of sourcing is huge and um, not going to the level of like conventional Oscar Mayer bacon and hot dogs and analog stuff on, on the other end of the spectrum um, that's something I would definitely be mindful of and keeping still high vegetable intake you know so your distribution of your plate should still be 50% from non-starchy vegetables with a section of that focused on your detoxifying drivers like your cruciferous, your allium, onion, garlic, shallots, and your mushrooms and such. Yeah, and um, people always ask me, oh, did you just dive into eating a plate full of bacon and steak and <laughs> eggs? And it's like, no, I just actually added these things um, to my plate. And I think, um, you know, for me too, that added a lot of freedom in my diet. I'm sure you experienced that as well once you kind of got through this transition is is the food freedom and um, yes yes and and you know there's there's different levels of restriction and again flavors of the the time of the year and what have you but but having the ability to have that umami flavor profile and textures and being mindful of your consumption um, and sourcing it I feel much more intimately connected with my food than I ever have so I think that's a really cool transition I've personally experienced and grounded and hormonally sound and less inflamed so i mean that speaks for itself yes on all counts over here too um so before we wrap up today i want to provide a couple of supplement recommendations for people who are currently vegan or in a transition space um, we talked about digest aid already um, and we'll make sure to link to these products as yes. well but what else so if we are still going to keep at a vegan diet, which again, no shame in the game, if that works for you and your nutrients look sound and you're feeling balanced, great. But I would encourage a methylated B12 um, for certain, um, which you could take sublingual as a lozenge and that can go into the bloodstream. That'll help for the number one most common deficiency and, and things like neuropathy and such. Uh, zinc is another one to consider that, you know, yes, it's in pumpkin seeds, but it's higher available in red meats and oysters and such. So zinc is one to consider. Zinc deficiency can drive things like hair thinning. It can also drive things like anxiety, insomnia, uh, blood sugar, um, metabolism issues. So that's one to really watch and look into. And then iron for sure, especially women that are menstruating should absolutely be taking a uh, multivitamin with iron. I would recommend our multi-defense with iron and we'll put a link to that one um, regardless of if you're vegan vegetarian or omnivore it's a great foundational multi which uses a lot of phyto compounds um, and we call it multi-defense because it uh, has antioxidants to defend your cells so um, with iron would be important for those people fantastic um, so yeah we'll link to all those products um, in the show notes and um, I guess we'll wrap up there so this was so much fun I think this provides a lot of support for our listeners um, and no matter where you are at in your transition, we are totally open to working with you. So don't be intimidated if you are still in that vegan space or needing some help um, with, with the meal planning and, and food aspect of it. Absolutely. So thank you all for listening. How scary was this, Becky?
It is only a little scary. <laughs> okay, good. We only did one edit, so if y'all heard it, we, we really try to not edit. Um, but thanks all for, for t- tuning in to the Naturally Nourished podcast. This is episode 42. Uh, listen in next time. I think we'll do living your bliss factor and uh, finding your inner voice for optimal balance and whole body health. Um, stay tuned. And as always, comment on iTunes if you're enjoying the episodes. And um, you can comment in the Ask Ally bar and check out the blog at Allie Miller rd.com thank you for listening to the naturally nourished podcast visit our blog at allymillerrd.com for recipes wellness tips and food as medicine meal plans connect with Allie and becky at allymillerrd on instagram twitter and facebook until next time stay nourished and be well